felt like like I had lost my testimony. I've had a lot of times where I would question, why am I even here? What am I doing? Hello, and welcome back to the Bishop's Office, where I speak to members of the Moriarty Ward about various experiences in their lives. Today, I've got a conversation with Anel Cowdery for you um, about her mission in Argentina. I hope you enjoy. Good evening, Anel. Thanks for catching up with me this evening to talk about your mission. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Bishop? I am doing good. Um, now, uh, we'll just spend a few minutes together, um, but to kick us off, why don't you um, tell us where you served and, and when you served? Okay, so I served in the Buenos Aires West Mission um, in Argentina, and I served between the dates of 2016 and 2017. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about how you came to the decision to serve a mission? So I guess my story starts out as a child and there's a few things that have made my decision over the years. I remember this distinct time as a child, always just loving like the songs in the church, always loving um, going to church and loving the missionaries and what they did. And I remember about the age of nine, my dad was asking my older brothers if they wanted to serve a mission um, and what their plans were and that kind of thing. Um, and they weren't very talkative. They didn't really have anything to say. <laughs> Obviously hadn't thought about it much. Um, and they or didn't want to go and, you know, that's, that's their choices. But um, I remember after a long awkward silence in our home, <laughs> waiting for one of them to speak, I got overwhelmed with this excitement and I was like, I'm going to go on a mission. I'm going to go. So after that, for a few years, I wanted to be a missionary, like loved it all and kind of lost that love for missionary work because I wasn't entirely sure um, what my testimony was. And then after, um, it was kind of like in my teenage years in Young Women's where I started to grow my testimony. And and then I, I got to the stage where I... Um, could see the difference in my life and how much the gospel really um, helped me and made me feel happy. And I wanted everyone to know the truth of the gospel and everyone to know that they're loved, to, to share it with everyone, I guess. Um, so you talked about finding your testimony um, in those youth years. Are there particular experiences that come to mind that really helped you to to know that the church was true? Yeah, definitely. Um, at one point, I was about 14 years old. I remember feeling like I really needed to know and I needed to know then whether or not it was, it was true and like it, that would shape the course of my life. So I decided that if I didn't know at this point, I had to at least do everything people said to find out if it was true. So People say, you know, pray to God and he'll let you know it's true or read the scriptures and you'll feel that it's right. You know, go to church every week, all that kind of thing. I was already going to church every week, but um, I wasn't doing my personal prayers and personal scripture study as often as I should. So I decided that I would pray every single night and ask to know if the church was true. And I would read the scriptures every day. And at first it was just little things like I felt happier and I was getting excited about understanding the stories in the scriptures that I hadn't read a lot about on my own. But then eventually it came to a really big experience for me. This was like the tipping point. <laughs> so I was at school one day and um, one of my friends had heard that I'm 
like a fast runner and sports day was coming up so she wanted a race so we we had a bit of a race and we had to go down the oval and we were going to race to a, a hockey goal so we ran down that hill and I used to be a really good sprinter so I was going really fast and we're both really really wanting to win and I remember there was this one point I was running and I was fixated on the pole on the end of the hockey goal for some reason I thought I was gonna just run straight at it and then put my hand out and pretty much just swing out around the hockey goal but I was almost there and I started reaching my hand out and it's almost like time stood still I heard a voice in my head that was very insistent yet very loving something that I could trust immediately and I saw this like word and it kind of flashed it in my mind and it just said turn and so I I turned my foot as I went to put it down and I hadn't seen it but just where my foot landed there was a bit of mud that was super slippery and so I slipped on the mud and I went flying in through the air and I landed like all sprawled out on the ground parallel alongside the hockey goals that I was about to run into basically and I know that it was the spirit that was protecting me and that told me to turn because if I hadn't I I would have just plowed straight into that metal pole (laughs) who knows what could have happened so from that experience I knew that Heavenly Father lived and that he loved me and he loved everyone and that he cares enough about us and everything that goes in our lives he watches over us and he'll always answer us. But sometimes it takes a while. It, it took a particular experience for me and it will be something different for everyone else. But yeah, that's sort of where I, I learned it. And from then on, I decided, like, yes, I knew it was Heavenly Father lived and that from trialing prayer and scripture study, I was able to experience that. And I knew the church was true. That's great. Um, as you talked about, um, you know, that, that this period of your life you said that you got to a point where you just sort of I guess had to know whether it was true or not why was that why weren't you ambivalent towards you know the truthfulness of the church what was happening in your life at the time that meant it was so important to you I think for a couple of years before then I started to want to be just like my friends and be a little bit rebellious um But every time I did something rebellious, I just didn't feel right. So I didn't do that anymore. But I think at that point in my life, I'd seen a lot of people making different choices or mistakes. Um, There's a lot of, I have a lot of brothers and sisters, but there's only three of us that are active. Um, And I watched my two older brothers go inactive throughout those years. And I think that kind of struck a chord that like they, they had chosen not to believe. And I kind of wondered why, but then my parents believed and I wondered why as well. (laughs) So I think seeing the two and then wanting to know for myself, not relying on my parents was really important for me. So um, were there things in particular that you did um, once you'd made the decision to serve a mission that you felt really contributed to you being as prepared as you could be to, to go and serve? Yeah, so um, Mission Prep and Institute was a big thing. I think I learned a lot from the role plays and the teachers that we had in their experiences. Uh, I also attended Mission Prep Conference, like where you stay with the missionaries for a weekend. I did that for a few years and loved it every time. Um, it was hard, though. I think the first year was more difficult because I had no idea how to relate to people or, like, how to start lessons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but the experience helps when you've got someone who knows what they're doing by your side. <laughs> I also, um, I guess I just waited for the right time to go because I'd always kind of had this feeling to go on, my, on the mission. When I was nearing the end of school, I prayed about it as to whether I should still go, um, whether it was God's will. And when the time was that I needed to go, if it was straight after school, and I got the impression that I should just wait for a bit. So I went to uni and I did one year of uni. In that time, I think I, I learned a lot of skills that I was able to apply in the mission, a lot of knowledge that was able to help people and my companions. So I think that helped me a little bit too. I went out with the sister missionaries a lot. Every, every day I could, every weekend, I would be out with the sisters teaching someone. Oh, great. That's amazing. Um, so talk to me about receiving your mission call. What happened? Oh, that was like the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a cool experience opening the call letter. I was so nervous and I was just jumpy and I was so excited. But as soon as I read the call letter, I just fell in love with it. I had no clue where Argentina was. I had to look that up on Google. But before even knowing where it was, I'd already fallen in love with the country mm-hmm. and knew that I had to go. Um, so what should people know about um, Argentina, Buenos Aires? Um, you know, in those first couple of weeks when everything is so new, what stood out to you as being different from Australia? Oh, boy. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are different. Wow. So some of their streets are still cobblestones. That was um, around the area that is near my mission office. There were these cobblestone streets. um, So we were let out of the MTC for four weeks to go proselyte on our own with our companion, not knowing much Spanish for five hours on a Saturday. (laughs) So was Um, the MTC you attended in Argentina? Yeah. Yeah, I went to Argentina. Awesome. Yeah. So that was a big experience too, going straight there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, yeah, just the environment is different. The people themselves, there are some good people and bad people. There's some rude people and some really kind people that won't tell you that they're not interested. There's a whole range. But all in all, the people are very talkative. They love other people. They love parties, they love family, they absolutely want to be around their family all the time. Some people have jobs where they can go to work early, come home for a couple of hours over lunch, have lunch with their family and then go back to work for a few hours. It's very sort of centred along that lines of being open and loving and respectful. A lot of people were really welcoming as well. So they'd know that we couldn't speak Spanish and they knew that Um, we were new to Argentina and they would try and speak slowly for us and try and explain things or show us where to go or tell us about things, which was really nice. Um, And they would be so interested in where we came from as well. One thing that really shocked me the first few weeks and um, continued to be a recurring theme in Argentina was how many dogs there are. (laughs) (laughs) The dogs are pretty much everywhere. They're um, just street dogs yeah yeah like they'll have um domesticated pets but they're also in the street Uh (laughs) so the whole block will take turns in feeding this dog that just wanders around that block and the dog will become protective of that block 
And so if you're walking past or riding a like a bike past, it will either bark at you and usually it doesn't like bikes because they make weird noises. So it will run at you and nip at your ankles. <laughs> so that was very different to get used to. Tell us about adjusting to missionary life. You've had a few weeks in the MTC. You've had a, a couple of weeks um, walking the cobblestone streets among <laughs> packs of rabid dogs. Uh, <laughs> what were the first few months of miss- missionary life like for you? They were hard at first. They were hard because tra- trying to get used to the language, the food, like getting used to actually saying hi to people on the street was another one. Um, for any missionary, I'm sure that's quite a challenge to break out of that norm of you don't normally say anything except hi. <laughs> mm. um, but getting into like contacting and actually interested in people's lives. Um, I think I found um, challenges in regards to studying. Um, I hadn't ever learnt how to study for someone else, so getting adjusted to that was different. Uh, and for someone else, you mean um, studying in a way that would allow you to answer the questions of the people you were teaching and things like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So making sure I knew all the details about um, the history of the church and answering their questions about what he, what, who God is. And they, lots of people have questions about the plan of salvation, where they came from, things like that. So making sure that I could explain it in Spanish, but also know the answers in English in my head to translate. Mm. <laughs> my first two transfers, I had never felt so tired and exhausted in my life constantly mm-hmm. and never felt so like I got so many headaches. I hardly get headaches, but I got headaches because I was constantly thinking and translating in my head. <laughs> um, so getting used to that was pretty hard. Um, different way of life and like in my mission there's no there were no cars for majority of the missionaries we my whole mission I walked everywhere took the bus or biked um maybe you can um share with us a a few um I guess lessons that you learned on your mission um perhaps tied to um some spiritual experiences that you had and and I guess what those lessons were that you took away from it I think there were different types of lessons I learnt. One time I was, it's near the end of my mission and uh, this lady sticks with me a lot because I could relate to her and I felt very sorry for her. Um, She was one of those people that just really needed the joy of the gospel in her life. And I remember very distinctively, it was myself and my two other companions. I had a trainee and our other companion and we were walking around and we had some appointments that fell through we had done some contacting down streets we'd never been to, no success. Um, we're just walking around and felt kind of a bit lost. What do we do now? And we only had about an hour, I think, to be able to, um, we had to leave the area to go visit our mission president for in- interviews. We were walking around and I got this really big impression to go see this investigator we had. And at this point, we had spent a lot of time with her um, and she was struggling to see God's hand in her life and feel his love through other people. Um, She was in a place in her life where she just wanted God to remove her illness from her miraculously in a heartbeat, but not recognising 
every time she prayed, we would turn up at her doorstep, mm-hmm. kind of like showing her that she could access, she had access to God and that she could access the atonement. Um, so we were really trying to help her with that. But we had left her um, for a few days just to be by herself and do a um, commitment we'd left her. And we had planned to go back in a week's time um, to let her make her own decisions and choices with it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I got this big impression to go see her and I was like, why? We're not going back to her now. We're going back next week. We're trying to not be so close to her so she can see the difference when we're there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I just kept coming back, this big feeling, just go see this lady. And so I turned to my companions. I was like, look, I know we said we weren't going back this often, but I've got to tell you, like, I'm feeling we have to go see this lady. And they both turned to me and went, oh, good, you're feeling that too because I'm feeling that. (laughs) (laughs) And so we went, all right, we have to go then. Um, And this lady, a bit of context, had had um, um, a surgery on her back which had gone worse. Um, I think she had some sort of bone issue. But in the process, the doctor had actually left her semi-paralyzed. She had a pretty tough life. (laughs) Mm. Um, And she had shared with us how her her daughters um, had not really been visiting her and she felt like they didn't really care about her um, and had been saying very mean things to her and and didn't really want to help her out. Um, So she was just feeling a bit alone and and really had a tough time. So we went to go see her and she was like, she yelled out from her house and just saying, come in, come in. So we're like, oh, okay. Normally she'd come to meet us at the door. And so we came in and we're like, are you okay? What's going on? You know, it's just us. And she's like, oh, good. And she just started bawling her eyes out and we didn't know what to do. <laughs> she was just sharing with us, with us all these thoughts and feelings she had and how she had been like praying for someone to come visit her because she just felt so alone and she was asking her, why is this happening to me? Um, and she felt so depressed and, yeah, just really angry and lonely and sad and all these horrible feelings. Um, and she was just crying and she was in bed and she just wouldn't move. She couldn't, didn't feel like she could. And uh, we spent a little bit of time with her I think we might have sang a song with her, <laughs> anything that would kind of help her feel better. She mentioned that she was low on like medication um, and stuff. So we ended up ringing a member to come sit with her um, and we went to see if we could grab her medication for her. But um, when we got there, they said the type of medication it was, they can't give out to anyone else. So like, fair enough, that's fine. <laughs> we'll come back. Um, so we went back to her and just explained it, but she was so grateful that we would even like attempt to do that for her because mm. not many people help her out. Um, she normally has to go through a lot of pain just trying to walk and get someone to pick her up and get to the chemist. So we, we felt at that time after we'd been there for oh, about 45 minutes or so, she was starting to calm down and she felt a lot happier and we prayed with her and talked to her a lot and the member helped as well. And that kind of just showed us all that God really knows every single one of his children and when they need help and he uses 
whoever is close by, because we were only a few blocks away, he uses whoever's ready to listen to him in order to help people sometimes. Um, so it was just a beautiful experience that we had. Yeah, great. I guess beautiful sort of in the moment. And then I guess as you're describing upon reflection about the way God is mindful of us and the way he uses, I guess, each of us to, to, to do his work, I suppose. Um, talk to me about, about how you saw the Lord um, protect you and, and your companion or companions as, as a missionary. So I guess the first experience I had was the first week in the mission field. And I hadn't even had a time to email my parents yet. Um, we went out on P-Day, did cleaning, shopping, and we were going to email before we went on to our appointment. And so it was about 5 p.m. and we had about an hour to do emailing. So we went off to the email place and I was in a really small country town with about two traffic lights maybe it was on the other end of my mission and it it was just so small <laughs> a couple of thousand people maybe and we were on the main street and it could be busy sometimes but most of the time it was pretty chilled <laughs> yeah. so my companion we were on our bikes and my companion looked left and right and crossed the street um and she stopped and waited on the other side of the street for me and then i looked left and right and there was not a car on the street coming my way for like kilometers it was so dead quiet so I started going into the street and I was feeling great and then I was I just suddenly got this feeling that something was close by and to look to my right so I looked at my right and there's a car um <laughs> basically this lady had turned the corner not far from me after I'd entered the street turned it really quickly she was going somewhere and she had not checked on the left as well. She just checked the right. So um, she turned left and then she was like, oh, no, there's this person in the street. <laughs> so she was slamming on her brakes. But I was, I saw the car and I was like, yep, I'm dead. I don't want to die. <laughs> so I started praying um, and just being like, Heavenly Father, please help me, <laughs> protect me, something. And um, my bike was pretty well parallel to her bumper bar. In the, I was in the middle of the car, like I was lined up to get hit. And I just closed my eyes and had the impression to kind of stop pedaling. So I stopped pedaling. I pulled my legs up. I felt the car hit my bike. I felt my bike falling. And then I felt the impression to push off the pedals because that felt like a smart idea. So I put my feet down and instantly found the pedals, which is a miracle in itself, and pushed off those pedals. And I went flying in the air. So I went flying for a couple of meters and I landed on my feet. What? This is awesome. <laughs> and this lady thought that she had hit me and injured me and needed to take me to the hospital. It was crazy. And that was probably the scariest part after that is because I had this lady coming, rushing out of her car, yelling Spanish words really quickly to me. and I couldn't understand a word. <laughs> so you're not injured at all? No, not a bruise, not a scratch. My oh. bunk was injured. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. But she was a nice lady. She dropped us off at the bike shop and she paid for all the repairs. And, yeah, she was always waving at us every time she saw us in the street. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, Were there hard times on your mission and um, how did you overcome them? There were a lot of hard times as well. Um, I feel like there were times when I'm sure every missionary can feel this, you know, what's the point? Because no one's listening. We've been knocking doors all day, contacting and haven't had even one person interested. And those days can be really hard getting that rejection after rejection. Um, But for me, I think the biggest thing was um, I got really ill. I I had a like massive mental breakdown about just before halfway through my mission. And um, it probably was brought on by a lot of stress and things in my life and lots of changes. But through that experience, um, I found out some things about myself (laughs) that I didn't know before. My psychologist said that I had perfectionism, which when she explained it, made 100% sense to me, Um, kind of explained a few weird quirks I had and a lot of trouble with, I had a lot of trouble with change initially when change happens. But this was, um, yeah, as I said, it was a really hard time. I felt like one day I was feeling on top of the world, having a great time with my new companion, um, teaching heaps of lessons, helping people. It was great. And then the next day I felt almost dead inside. Um, I felt like, like I had lost my testimony. I felt sad. I felt anxious. I felt depressed. I'd gone roller coasters throughout the day, um, throughout the week, and this went on for about three months. Um, I'd have some good days and some really bad ones. And I had a lot of times where I would question, why am I even here? What am I doing? I didn't feel, I guess, worthy enough to share the gospel because I was having a trouble feeling it in my life. And I felt like I would be a hypocrite if I went out and said, the gospel is great. It's going to help you and solve your problems when I didn't feel like it was doing that for me. So I had a really tough time dealing with that. But um, I had a really great companion who did exactly what I needed every single time. She even knew how to make me laugh sometimes, which would just be a nice little break. Um, Some really good supports like the mission psychologist was really great help. Uh, my mission president, absolutely fantastic, inspired man. And through the, through all of those people, through working through my emotions, understanding why I was feeling this way, um, choosing to, I guess, I learned sort of accept how to accept things would be a good way to put it. My psychologist took me through some steps that helped me to learn between what's reality and what's actually happening and where my goals are at and how to set goals so that they're not too high, so I'm not constantly not achieving them, Mm. ones that are kind of achievable. And and that kind of helped a lot. But definitely learning to accept myself, accept others, accept reality, um, and accept that there are some things I would never be able to change or do and that that's okay, that I didn't have to be perfect, I didn't have to have everything under control. And she taught me or reminded me a lot about how the atonement can work and that it's not just for mistakes, but that it's for whenever you're not feeling like you can achieve something. It's for anything that you're feeling that's bad or horrible, 
anything in your life really that you need help with, you can use the atonement and you can call upon that power um, to help strengthen you. And she helped me do that through um, writing down a whole list of things that I couldn't control and then making sure that inviting me to pray um, to God and, and ask him to, um, asking Jesus to take these things on himself and, and to help me strengthen, <laughs> strengthen me. And that really helped as well. I feel that that was a big change in my life and I learned a lot and it has given me the tools to be able to be more resilient in my life. It's also helped me grow closer to my saviour and really know that he's always there. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's a bad day, doesn't mean he's not there. It just means I have a bad day. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And really highlighting um, the way that the atonement can work in our lives, right? Um, as you say, we often think of the atonement as being um, a remedy for um, the things that we do wrong, but um, that the, the atonement, its power and influence stretches into anything tough that we're struggling with right um it's the power that enables us to make positive changes in our lives of of all description not just um relating to to sin and and those types of things so yeah and no, i yeah. thank you for sharing that and um i'm glad that you're able to have that experience and to learn those skills you know and um and have those people around you that could support you in doing that and what a blessing that will be to you for the rest of your life yeah Definitely. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't grateful at the time for the experience because it was hard, but I was grateful afterwards. Mm. Yeah. I feel like it also, um, it helped me understand what a lot of the people like investigators that I taught were going through. Um, mm. After that, I found a lot that had problems with depression and things. And so being able to relate to them more and help them see how the atonement can work in their lives. I think that that was a blessing. And so if someone's listening to this who's struggling with, you know, depression, anxiety, those types of things, what advice would you give to them around how to access the power of the atonement? You know, often people who struggle with um, these types of feelings, um, you know, talk about having trouble, you know, recognising the spirit and those types of things. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on that topic? I feel like it's very individual. But some basic principles, I guess, we can all live by is remembering our past experiences or um, past things that we've felt our testimonies strengthened. Remembering those times um, can help you have hope for where you're at now in the future. Sort of but trusting those past spiritual experiences, is that what you're saying? Yeah, for some people that can help. Um, I tried that a little bit and sometimes it helped, sometimes it made me feel worse. <laughs> but that, that can be something that can help. But definitely not giving up, reaching out to someone you trust and love and being completely open and vulnerable with them, letting them help you. Because sometimes God will work through other people as well. And I definitely feel that was for me, it was a combination of the people in my life and the Lord working hand in hand. But also one thing I learned through that is with prayers, it's so important to be open and honest. This was something that kind of shocked me when I first heard this from my psychologist, but she said, a lot of people growing up in the church believe that our prayers have to be nice. They have to be kind of almost scripted. Um, 
like we might go through the same root things for dinner or morning or night and that we always have to be only thanking Heavenly Father for things. But she said that's not it. Like prayer is pretty much that telephone you pick up and you call. And I'm sure you wouldn't do that with your own father. And we kind of had a giggle. <laughs> is that I wouldn't just be like, oh, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right, I want this next. I'm putting in my order. <laughs> but that I would actually tell him how I would be feeling. Um, and sometimes I might be angry at him and I would tell him that. But she said, that's fine. She said, if you're feeling hurt or angry, you have to tell Heavenly Father because he wants you to be open and honest with him. And sometimes that helps you get it out of your system. It helps you process it. So making sure that in your prayers, you honestly and genuinely tell him absolutely every feeling that you're having. And then when you get up from that prayer, those feelings that you can't change or you don't feel in control of, you just leave it to him. You focus on what you can do. Well, thank you for taking the time this evening to um, talk to me about your mission in Argentina. It's been wonderful to hear your experiences and um, the blessings that have come into your life as a result of that service. Yeah, there are a lot of blessings. <laughs> I would say even my husband is a blessing. <laughs> well, did you want to tell us about that? How did that come from your mission? <laughs> um, basically, on my mission, I learnt how to listen to the spirit and how it works with me um, a lot more. And as I've been explaining, coming closer to my saviour, relying on him a lot for things that I don't understand. And my husband and I were friends from youth. We weren't interested in each other at all at that point. But in the first few months of him being home, we started hanging out like we would with as friends and things changed. And we both started getting feelings. And so I had to turn to the Lord to be like, what is going on? <laughs> Why am I feeling this? And so, yeah, it was kind of just through those prayers and feeling the reassurance that it was right to date and see where things went from there and feeling the impressions that he was the right one for me. And I feel so blessed for being able to recognize those spiritual um, impressions because he is absolutely perfect for me. <laughs> Everything that I lack in or I'm struggling in, he excels in. Um, so we, we definitely complement each other. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. And um, I'm, I'm glad that we've had the opportunity to speak together this evening and to, and to talk about those things that, um, that you've learned and, and been blessed with from your, your missionary service. So thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. It's been really great to talk about it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Anel about her mission. Wasn't it wonderful hearing her talk about the way that she had applied the atonement in her life to help her with uh, the mental health challenges that she had on her mission. That combined with loving support from people around her and professional support from a counsellor was what she needed at that time to, um, to learn the skills that will continue to bless her throughout her life. Well, that's all I have for you today. Until next time on The Bishop's Office.